0: Hi, everybody. This is Chaubert Chaubert. I'm excited to say this is my first ever podcast of the Shobert Show. I'm, I'm really pleased to have our guest as well. His name is Paul Braggiel. Um, He is an entrepreneur, investor, and Olympian. Um, but before we go into his background, I'd actually, one of the news that just uh, popped up over the weekend is the, the sad news about the devastation in Tonga. And uh, I know, Paul, you're connected with PETA, the Olympian there. Um, if you want to share any details or information for anybody also, uh, if they want to help out with the cause, um, you know, feel free to like get any updates you have. Do you have any updates there?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, I have a bit, so, um, I've been really, you know, really lucky the country's kind of invited me and kind of almost adopted me, I would say. And, um, yeah, so yeah, the Tonga thing's really tragic. There was a huge volcano erupted um And you know the tsunami kind of came afterwards, um, yeah. and so that cut all internet communications to the whole country like shortly after, and so that's why we're not seeing much information coming out because there's no way to get information out. Uh, there's only one satellite phone that they're kind of using to connect off of uh, that's an ambassador from, uh, from Australia, you know, that living on the island is using. So not much information right now, but what we do hmm. know is that the whole island is covered in ash, obviously. Yeah. Um, explosion, uh, and the sad. big problem here is that. Um, their whole water supply is based on rainwater, right? The, the water uh, kind of the, the water table doesn't allow for them to kind of use wells. So that's the biggest problem right now. So they're trying to figure out how to kind of deliver water to the country. Uh, there's some humanitarian isu- uh, aid happening from Australia, New Zealand, as we speak. Um, yeah. there have been uh, We thought there were no deaths, but we actually heard in the last 24 hours a few deaths have happened, uh, people being pulled away. Um, and so, yeah, we're just now waiting for a lot more information. But there's a few of us scrambling uh, to put some t- stuff together. Uh, you mentioned PETA. He's putting together a, a fundraiser. A few other folks are doing the same in Australia and New Zealand. Yeah, in general, we're just trying to rally the troops, trying to you know, get resources out to them as quickly as possible, and raise money so that when we do have more information, we could deliver the much-needed resources to help these p- folks out.
0: Yeah, that's noble of you. What is the GoFundMe uh, page? Or if you want, after the podcast, I'll let everybody see it um, to share that information. Um, but is this specifically go- – PETA's Pe- uh, GoFundMe page supporting uh, basically the water wells and everything there?
1: Yeah, so Peter put together a GoFundMe page uh, just doing a general call for funding. Uh, they'll probably be going to a kind of water and food support uh, and then maybe, you know, if we raise enough, potentially we start rebuilding part of the island. But, I mean, from what I understand, you know, about a quarter of the island was like you know just completely swept away. Uh, so we'll see how much damage there really is. But yeah, that's uh, the goal, but uh, yeah, we'll share a link at the bottom. There's no like really easy linkable thing, so yeah, yeah.
0: I, I appreciate it. And thanks for sharing that information. I think there always is like a humanitarian side is very uh needed, so thanks for that. Um, now going into the intro, I um was thinking of like when's the first time you and I met? I think it was around the time we both started our careers, literally in I'm gonna have to say around 2006, maybe 2007. Um, I was starting my career at Plug and Play, the incubator. And uh, in and around that time, I know you were an entrepreneur. You also started your own uh, incubator office coffee shop combo, IO Ventures in San Francisco. Uh, but maybe before we go into that, like what's, who is Paul Bragel? Where are you from? Um, and how did you come into like tech and, and Silicon Valley beforehand?
1: Yeah. Um, so my name is Paul. <laughs> and uh, yes, I grew up in Chicago. And yeah, I mean, like, you know, a lot of the kind of common story, very nerdy kid. Um, I absolutely loved video games and I was obsessed with them as a kid. And I, I, I very quickly know around the age, like, I guess, seven or eight when I played my first Nintendo game, like, OK, fuck, this is going to be what I'm going to do the rest of my life uh, or yeah. at least somehow can I do it. Um, and so, yeah, I, I pretty much made that my life's goal. Um, when I got into my teenage years, I got my first ever PC. Uh, and that's kind of when I got into programming. Uh, and I got really especially deep into kind of graphics programming. So around 3d graphics, uh, 3d artwork, I got involved in this like, really cool underground community called the demo scene. And the demo scene is this amazing group of people, um, that have gone out to do some really cool things. I can elaborate on that more later. Sure. And yeah, from there, um, yeah, that, I mean, that allowed me to go to a really amazing school. I got to go to a school called university of Illinois. Uh, it was one of the top three engineering schools in the country at the time. Huh. And, yeah. I got to meet a lot of my future co-founders and, uh, Kind of you know co-conspirators there, um, and yeah. So I graduated in 1999, and I started building startups. Uh, I built my first company in Chicago. It was a game studio, um, and uh, yeah, we built. You know, we had offices not only in Chicago but also Montreal, Poland, Finland, uh, and a few other kind of contractors here and there. And yeah, that's the beginning. And then from there, I moved to the Valley, and that's you know when we shortly met. I met. I moved to the Valley in 2005, and I think we met probably like six months after I moved to the Bay Area, uh, and that was on my second company. Right. I think.
0: Wow, man. Uh, yeah, I forget about like the, the story you got into gaming. Uh, what? So I have a couple quick questions. What, what was your favorite video game you were playing? For me, it, it was inevitably Mario Brothers for sure was the one that got me kicked off. And, uh, you know, my parents was like, oh, I always joke saying they always capped my timing to play video games. And, and now, I, you know, when I started in mobile gaming and advertising, I joke saying, remember the times when you blocked me off? Now I made it into a career that I'm playing games and <laughs> working in advertising with these studios. Um, but what was your, what was your game? Like, what was the one that you really got addicted and you said, this is my, you know, my dream to go into this. And then second, yeah. uh, go ahead. Sorry.
1: No, uh, I mean, so, um, the first game that I, I could kind of very vividly recall, that was like my game was a game called pitfall two on the Atari. Um, so I'm a little bit older than you. So it kind of dates myself, but, um, yeah, I remember playing this game forever and it was also a really cool bonding experience because I got to play the game with my father. We kind of go out there and, you know, solve the levels together. And that was kind of my first foray into like, you know, what the potential for games are. I was still pretty young at the time. And then, yeah, after that, I got a Nintendo and I super got into Nintendo's, you know, the whole lineup. Um, yeah. I think my top two games were, yeah, Super Mario Brothers, the first one, and then also a game called Kid Icarus. And, uh, what's really <laughs> cool is I you know. I get to work with a lot of those people nowadays, and I got to know Shigeru Miyamoto, the creator of Mario, pretty well. He's become a close friend over the years. So, yeah, it's funny. You can tell your parents, hey, all those years spent were not a waste of time. And uh, actually, you know, it led to millions of dollars and really cool opportunities in life um, where, yeah, at the time it was really hard to tell. Maybe the kid's just throwing his life away.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, speaking of like – Dating myself, uh, so to kind of bundle it, I actually my first gaming system my father got me was the Texas Instrument gaming system. So I don't remember, I don't know if you knew about this, but it had like very basic games like laser tag games and others. And I look back and I'm like, why did we ever give that away? Look, <laughs> that is one of those rare gaming systems they don't have. Um, and inevitably, I got. I, I was able to convince them to get the Mar- like the Nintendo and then obviously Nintendo 64s and Super Nintendos, and what have you. Um, but yeah, that's... that's I'm curious tight. what
1: that system was. I don't remember a T. I know, I know TI made a lot of computers, but I didn't know they made like a game console. I'm yeah, so
0: it, it's similar to Atari design where it was like black um, and then you put the games on top um, and there was like a joystick to play some of the games. Uh, so there was not many games, but um, I actually haven't checked to see how much that console goes for now. Uh, or if it's in like the Computer History Museum here in Silicon Valley, uh. <laughs> it has to be. I mean, there's so many consoles that
1: came out. I mean, it was that there was in television? There was the Odyssey. Yeah, there was television. It was. I mean, it was a crazy time. There was consoles coming out like you know left and right, and then it all crashed, and then Nintendo came out of the ashes.
0: Yeah, the whole Nintendo story is so uh, fascinating. And then you said you went to University of Illinois. So Illinois back in the '90s. Uh, had some special folks go to there. Uh, obviously, besides yourself, they're the PayPal Mafia. The guy, you know, those guys were there to a certain extent. High Five. Uh, that's I don't know if you m- remember High Five's co-founder and team, uh, Ramu. Uh, he also uh, he's just basically a, a lo- Illinois alumni. High Five was the social network that basically competed with uh, MySpace and Facebook before Facebook actually existed. So, do you know any of these guys? Did you ever meet them? Or are you primarily still focused on the gaming side of things when you were in Illinois? No, I mean, I was very close to them. So,
1: for instance, um, Russ Simmons, um, we and him did a lot of projects together, and he was one of the founding team of PayPal. I introduced him to Max Levchin, the CTO of PayPal. Um, really? I, I mean, I, yeah, of course. I mean, I knew wow. the YouTube guys uh, really well. Um, I mean, I was in a couple of classes with uh, Jeremy Stoppelman, which is another one Yelp. of uh, Russ's co yeah, founders of the Yelp. Yeah. So, no, we all knew each other really quite well from those days. And I mean, were, that was one of the reasons why I moved out to the Bay Area. They had built PayPal. I had built my game company, it was super successful. And they're yep. like, Paul, what the fuck are you doing in games? You should get into web stuff. And so, mm-hmm. Web 2.0 was just starting. Um, I had built you know, kind of like a prototype of some cool stuff here in Chicago. They're like, dude, you have to come out here and yeah. move out to the Bay Area. And yeah, guys like Max and Russ. Um, yeah, they introduced me to a lot of the initial VCs and that's how I got my first introduction to, you know, folks at, you know, at Kleiner Perkins and Sequoia, they all came through my friends at the PayPal days. So now we've known each other. Some of them even predating, like I met Max before I even attended university on the BBS scene in in the local area of Chicago. So yeah, we kind of all were really well connected.
0: Yeah. There's always books and stuff you hear about, like get connected to the right people and sometimes timing and luck happens. Uh, but when you moved here to Silicon Valley, um, I mean, at that time, it was just on the, the, the cusp of like web 2.0 growing social networks and so forth. Did it really amplify your growth in your career being here and being just plugged in like very close to everybody you want to be plugged to? Yeah, it was
1: different, right? So like, I built a game studio right out of college in 1999, and that company did really well. We did over 50 games across various different consoles and various different mobile phones, and it was super profitable, but I didn't know the concept of venture capital. I never raised a cent. We were just super cash flow positive. Uh, We were doing both contract work and also our own IP, and that did really well. Um, and they ended up exiting a company and I moved to the Bay area and yeah, it was just a very different way of doing business, right? Kind of the rapid scaling, raising venture. That is something I was not exposed to. So I, you know, super, you know, I guess you could say just, you know, yeah, just kind of accelerated my learning as to what it would take to kind of build a large scale business. Um, and yeah, so we launched a company called Metro back then. It was actually competing against high five and Tagged and MySpace and Facebook. I mean, we had a couple million users (laughs) and they kicked our asses. Uh, it was a really nice lesson. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was a really cool time. And, yeah, when we moved here, I mean, I remember, like, I mean, Web 2.0 you know, was, I mean, like, the term hadn't even been coined yet, right? And yeah. so we were kind of of the initial crew. And I remember, like, there was this website called TechCrunch, right? Mike Errington. He, and he wrote an article. And I looked back and, like, I think we were one of the first four articles he wrote ever on TechCrunch. So, like, it was, like, super, super early days. And yeah, we got to know these folks and we were all like friends and, and like people from those times, like we all still know each other. We were still all in touch with each other. It was just, just a small world. And like, you look back in those times and you know, some of these folks are more better known than others, but like, we all know each other. And we're like, dude, yeah. Like that world was just like, you know, people hanging out because it was, an, it was pure passion. We didn't think the kind of money that'd be coming into these companies exactly. would be happening nor that we'd be owning pieces of these companies that were worth billions of dollars.
0: Yeah, I I kind of reflect in saying it was more of the purity of everybody just getting their careers off and running, um, everybody just wanting to go after their dreams and helping each other out. It was very, like, effervescent, like, very fluid, right? Like, just kind of everybody, like, in the same page with that. Almost like when you go to a college, you want to hang out with the right crowd, um, you join a certain fraternity or sports team. So something like that just felt like that. And almost the other thing I tell people when I started my career here was it's almost like a big lap. Uh, so you could come here and just test things out and get paid to do it, which is pretty incredible thinking about that. Um, so yeah, what, like
1: I, I always make the comparison that, so it's kind of like, you know, they had like kind of all the Renaissance painters and, you know, kind of in Florence, right? Yes. And then you had you know, all those artists uh, hanging out in Paris, you know, drinking absinthe. And then you had kind of like uh, Jack Kerouac and the whole Beats in San Francisco. And you had the whole Seattle grunge scene. So all these yes. artists kind of came together and w- i'm guessing when they were there in the moment they didn't know what they were part of was as amazing as it was and then you know 10 15, 100 years later you look back on these moments you're like holy shit there was like an amazing kind of accumulation of people and talented and people were all like i said kind of coming in with a very honest and kind of tech for test tech sake they weren't yes. there to make money because like all the people from the dot-com boom they all kind of got swept away so all the people who made tons of money left and retired and all the fucking hucksters they <laughs> washed out and, and left and so it was only people who were left were the people who really want to build cool stuff and so yeah it was this magical time and but when we were in it we had no idea we just thought it was fun and cool and exactly. we were impressed with everybody and we're competing against each other and kind of having internal wars within you know different products um but yeah you look back at it now and you're like oh my god the amount of people there have gone on to such crazy things and and continue to do crazy things and continue to grow so yeah
0: yeah, the evolution of like tech and what it is now, I'm going to go into the details because we're both in the like in the gaming sector and where, where it's not now. But uh, you're absolutely right. The the fluidity, the, the stories is just endless. Do you have like a like a crazy San Francisco story you have? Um, I guess like, you know, we go into the two that I'm curious about was one you opened up an incubator like i o ventures it was kind of a hybrid of like an incubator slash fun slash coffee shop you in my opinion, I think you were a little too early in San francisco you were like pre weworks you were pre pre san francisco boom because san francisco's boom really happened i'd say around twenty ten on and I think IO ventures, i o ventures i'm have to say around oh 08, eight no we started
1: we launched in two thousand nine and we actually launched in oh, two thousand ten.
0: Um, okay okay so you were basically at the at the basically at the tip we, we
1: were at the cost. I mean like yeah. we had this coffee shop and I would say it was the number one coffee shop in terms of tech people yeah. hanging out in San Francisco. Everybody was there. Um yeah, we had one of the first ever co-working spaces in the whole world. Um and when we launched IO Ventures, we were one of the first five accelerators ever, right? So why Combinator, they had started out on the East Coast actually. They were not in the Bay Area yet.
0: They yeah. were in
1: Boston, right? There was Tech Stars in Colorado. There was a thing called Seed Camp in London, and I think we are fourth or fifth in the whole world. And so, yeah, we were super early to the game there. Did you guys uh,
0: before Y Combinator opened in Mountain View, or
1: right around the same time? So I think they came okay. to Mountain View and we started in San Francisco because uh, they were the, doing two cohorts. They're doing like one in Boston and one in the Bay Area. They were alternating you know, winter and summer. Yeah, um, and yeah, so we launched our cohort in 2010 in San Francisco. So we were the first one in San Francisco proper, but I think they were in the Bay Area maybe like half a year to a year ahead of us. I'm not exactly quite sure on the timing there. So, uh, what, happened,
0: yeah, a- so what happened with IO Ventures? Like what, what happened with the office and, or like the, I mean, it was cool. I've been there before. I, at that time I was living in around Mission Soma and I'd come visit, uh, I was on Valencia, I believe, right? Uh, yeah. So like what happened really?
1: Yeah. I mean, so we are running it. Uh, we did, you know, a bunch of cohorts over the years. And then about, like, 2013 timeframe, you know, a few of my business partners, they just, like, got kind of bored with it. They're like, hey, you know, we like – so the key thing is, like, all of us, we were running businesses while we were running IO Ventures. It was not a full-time thing for us, right, Um, And when we started. And then about, you know, half a year to a year into it, I sold my company, and I took it on full-time, right? And so I'm running it. But all my other business partners, they had no interest in running it full-time or kind of stopping their respective startups, um, so we kind of made a decision like, hey, if I'm the only one working as full time, and they're not really interested, so we won't focus on it as much. And so me, and my brother Dan, who are, were both working on it, on IO, we decided to go out there and start our own fund and kind of our own, you know like an extended family office. And that became Bragiel Brothers. We've been doing it ever since. And then yeah, all those other guys, they kept on going with their respective startups. We became investors in their companies. They became investors in our fund. So, you could say our fund, Brago Brothers, is an extension or maybe like a, an ancestor of IO Ventures of Sports.
0: Yeah, I, I actually love what you've done with your Brago Brothers, spinning off into like actually really ma- amplifying your relationships with the fund you and your brother have. I don't think I've ever actually met your brother, funny enough, um, which I hope I do soon. Uh, but one of the investments you guys got, uh, which was Uber. And um, how did you get connected to the team there? Was it with. Travis, was it pre-Travis with uh, some of the other guys? Um, yeah. Was- I
1: mean, I met Travis probably 2005, 2006 timeframe. Um, I met him at a New Year's Eve party. and I think it was the New Year's Eve of 2006. It was, a, it was a pretty awesome New Year's Eve party. It was uh, me, uh, Nivy Naval from Angel List, um, wow. uh Sean Fanning from Napster. Travis was there. Uh, Russ from Yelp was there and a few other folks um and yeah like we all we all became really close friends (laughs) um and so yeah it was just just out of friendship um me and travis uh would do a lot you know he had then sold his company i had sold my company and we you know did a bunch of trips around the world i think went to like four or five continents together and then yeah like he was starting up uber and he's like dude i'm working this cool new thing and i'm just like okay cool what do you need help on he's like dude i need you to introduce me some cool engineers i introduced like i maybe i think two or three of the first five six engineers they hired and um, technically, uh,
0: yeah. Technically, he wasn't even CEO. He was like more of an investor advisor. I think Ryan exactly. Graves and um exactly. and sh- um, blanking out right now. Uh, who is the th- third co-founder? Technically, Garrett. Uh, Garrett. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, who he has his own accelerator now. They all basically started it. Uh, I actually remember Ryan Graves used to come to an event SF and started handing off these flyers, Uber, Uber Black flyers. Try us out. First twenty bucks for free. Um, and I actually saved that when they went public. I posted that on on Twitter. Uh, like, man, what time flies! And it was pretty impressive what they did. So, congrats on being an investor with them. Um, And then uh, was that kind of a tipping point for you and your brother for the fund Um, or did you actually invest in others that kind of was like uh, just timing was like pretty inevitable that you guys did really well um, to spin off additional funds?
1: Yeah, I mean, that was obviously very helpful. Um, I also got involved with a company called Amplifier, which then merged with a company called Unity. And that happened around 2011. Um, Also, the first investment me and my brother Dan ever did, uh, this was in 2008. Um, as kind of you know, the whole market crashed. We actually got the opportunity to go out there and buy a bunch of Zappos shares secondary from other entrepreneur, uh, other people at the company. Stop so it. yeah, you we made a couple secondary
0: of- Zappos shares.
1: Yeah, that was an amazing deal, and that was before secondaries were really a thing. So we knew some of the early employees. They had problems hitting mortgage payments. We said, hey, we'll take some shares off your hands. So and if people don't know is-
0: Zappos. First of all, search it. It's like the best search engine for shoes. By the way, if you want to buy some shoes. Uh, and it got acquired eventually by Amazon, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yes. Yeah. Right. yeah. May he rest in peace, Tony Shea. He was one of the entrepreneurs I actually looked up pretty, pretty well. He was a very genuine guy when I met him in South by Southwest uh, years ago. Um, he was just pretty down to earth. Uh, he's like, again, like one of the old school Silicon Valley guys who was just chill, pretty reserved, generally speaking. Um, but it's uh, it's pretty sad what happened with him.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's a tragedy. You know, sometimes you kind of your, your star or your sun bright you know, shines too bright. Um, yeah. yeah. So like, yeah, we, we were lucky to, you know, kind of meet people like them and, uh, you yeah, know, we get involved with their companies because as I said like, it wasn't like we were seeking out deals. Um, Like there's one thing I would always do back in those days. I was throwing like you know monthly dinners, and we were throwing a lot of barbecues and stuff like that. And these just people that were showing up. These you know these people are your friends. And when they're starting a company, you're like, hey, yeah, I want to be part of your story, or like, yeah, I'll help you out. And they would you know allow you to invest, or they'll they'll throw some advisory shares your way. So it wasn't like it was like a oh my god, I want to become a professional investor. It's more like hey, I want to support my awesome friends and be part of their respective stories. And they did the same thing with me and my company. So it was kind of a very. Uh, kind of you know, nice and uh, you know, a reciprocal type of thing going out in the Valley back then.
0: That's awesome. And you got into Unity. So uh, was that the one that kind of, uh, and Unity for all those uh, who don't know is a gaming engine platform, one of the top ones uh, in the world. Pretty much everybody I know on mobile um, uses them to uh, create games on uh, your iPhone or Android. Uh, was that the one that really unlocked? Because I know your background's obviously in gaming Um, but did that help unlock your, so like, uh, what I'm trying to explain is Paul, your story is pretty interesting. You have different funds. You have your brother's fund and you have an extension of that in different rounds. You also have different verticals. You have a gaming fund and you have international funds. Um, so how did you decide on like actually managing multiple funds and how on earth do you do this? I mean, it was all kind of an
1: accident. Um, so Take a step back. You know, it's 2010. I'm running this accelerator called IO Ventures, and um, and so there's a trend I saw that was happening. Is that you know when we were getting applications, we were getting a lot of American applications, but also we were starting to get a lot of international applications. And so I doubled down on that I started marketing really heavily to uh, help entrepreneurs from around the world to apply and use IO Ventures as an excuse to kind of move to Silicon Valley. And yeah. um, from there, you know, we got a lot of attention. And Did from you get that,
0: applications from.
1: Um, we got it from all around the world. I mean, we probably had like 60, 70 different countries apply. Wow. I remember we did some number, um, and you know, a lot of you know, Western and Eastern Europe. We had some pockets of Asia as well too. Mm-hmm. Um, and in, in doing that, and kind of marketing to these respective countries and like kind of those ecosystems in those countries, we started getting also approached by a lot of governments. And so, uh, around 2010, the government Singapore came to me and they're like, "Hey, Paul, the concept you're doing is here is really awesome. The team you've built and the mentors you have are amazing." I, can you help us build something like this in Singapore? And so I was like, guys, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing in Singapore. I've never been there before. Um, but yeah, sure. Let's, let's talk about it. Right. So we had a few meetings in the Bay area, you know, they had kind of somebody on the ground kind of trying to recruit us to help them out. And then they flew us out a few times. And at the, I think the second or third trip I was out there, um, you know, we were kind of, in, I guess you say, formally advising them on kind of of the startup initiatives. They came to us and was like, Hey Paul, like we're putting together this program. And so uh, we want you to help us build a, a fund or accelerator in the country. And so every dollar that you bring into the country kind of inv- for investment, we'll match it with five and a half dollars. And I was oh. like, oh, huh, well, that's a fucking interesting deal. Yeah. Um, and so, but I, 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 at first I said, no, because me and my partners, we were too busy focusing and running IO and we're like, guys, we need to focus. Right. Yeah. Um, but then um, I was talking to one of my former co-founders at my second and third company. I got him Vinny Loria, and uh, yeah, Vinny had just come man. back. Yeah, Vinny's amazing, right? And so Vinny had just come back from vacation. So we sold our last copy in 2010, right before we started IOM. And so Vinny had just come back from a year traveling around Asia. And he's like, "Paul, I loved Asia. I think I want to do something out there." I'm like, "Well, your timing's pretty amazing." Wow. Uh, the government of Singapore came to me about this deal. Would you want to go out there and run a program like that with me? And so Vinny then kind of, you know, flew out there with his then girlfriend, now wife, and uh, started kind of working on that project. Uh, that project then evolved. Into a fund called Golden Gate Ventures, which we started with a third guy named Jeffrey Payne, and um, yeah, so that funded super sure. well. That fund is now on four funds with hundreds of millions out of management. I think four or five unicorns underneath our you know belt there. And so once I saw that, oh shit, things are going really well with you know what I'm doing in the United States with you know IO and then subsequently Breaker Brothers, and then this fund in you know in Southeast Asia, Golden Gate Ventures is doing super well. And so then I just started thinking, hey, maybe I could go out there and kind of incubate and kind of launch these other funds around the world. And that's what I've subsequently done. And so now we have funds in Southeast Asia, based on Singapore. We have uh, one in Africa. We have two in Europe. Uh, Sorry, we have two in Africa, one in Egypt as well, too. Uh, We have one in Brazil as well. And then we have those vertical funds, you know, one around video games, uh, one around VR, AR, computer vision, and then one around kind of space technologies
0: so i 'm trying to calculate this. this is about uh almost ten funds separate yeah it's, uh, it's- and i'm assuming uh from like obviously you have these trust trust trustworthy partners with Vinny, like in Golden Gate ventures uh in singapore uh you have i've I've met your partner who uh manages one in cairo um in Africa so um you know how does like, like, was the Golden Adventures the one that really kind of amplified this? Um, and how did you build trust with other people? Because Vinny and you have a, like stories, background. At some point, you gotta have to figure out like to amplify what you're doing um, with other uh, relationships that are very yeah. novel and new.
1: Yeah, I mean, so I've been pretty lucky in that basically every single fund I've started, except for the, the two most recent ones, I'm kind of experimenting some stuff. These are people I've known for. Five, if not 10 plus years, right? So, for instance, our gaming fund, I started a guy named Somali. I've known Somali since 1995. Um, My fund in Africa, uh, I've known my co founder there, Buana, since 2005 or six. He's one of the first 100 users of one of my products. Um, Yeah, my friend in Brazil, I've known him since 2009. So, yeah, these are people I've built really long relationships with. I know them for at least five plus years. And then, you know, we start something together. So I, I don't start something kind of willy-nilly. I don't just kind of go out there and hire some random person to do it with me. Yeah. It has to be, one, a great market. It has to be great timing. but also be the, the right person has to free up. It has to be somebody I trust that I want to build something with. I'm not going to go out there and just say, hey, oh yeah, I want that geography. I'm going to hire somebody. I don't feel comfortable with that because I'm, I mean, I'm lending my brand. I'm putting my own money in. And I'm spending a lot of time, you know, kind of coaching these people up.
0: And yeah, exactly. And these people, you have trust and history, but they also have a network effect, and where where their base is very important. So, for example, Singapore is a very fascinating place. I've had the fortune to be there once. It's um, it's basically the hub, I feel like, of uh, as far as the business is concerned, Southeast Asia. It's a small country. It's like an island country. Three and a half million, I believe. Very high net worth individuals live there, but it's like a plug to the rest: Vietnam, Thailand. Indonesia and basically beyond so yeah. um, but it's but that's like that's one instance you know so like uh, as far as the other ones concerned the individuals you had relationships they were based in places like your friend you said uh, Somali is where is he based that he's plugged into like the gaming scene or there yes yeah, so, so
1: Somali um, as I mentioned meant in 95 yeah. over the internet I, I think I met him in the first time in person that one of these e3s in 96 or 97 um, he's from Finland and he's like effectively the godfather of the Finnish game industry. He started the wow. second game company there, uh, a company called Remedy made a game called Max Payne back in the day and you know it's oh, yeah. still company's still around. It's publicly traded uh, amazingly well. And uh, so yeah, I, I when I was thinking about hey, I want to kind of expand and you know we actually started one of the first two ever uh, venture capital funds in the game industry can help pioneer that. And yeah, so I tapped him right. and I said, "Hey, Samly, you know what what's going on in your life and what are you thinking?" He had just exited a company. And I'm like, dude, I think this is the next progression. And um, yeah, that's so incredible I mean, because
0: uh, the gaming uh, the gaming industry had a di- massive disconnect with Silicon Valley. I remember back in the day, the investors would always say, oh, this is a hit driven business. We're not interested. This is high risk. And my perspective is like, that's pretty much tech startups. <laughs> exactly. High risk up, yeah. up front. You need money. Uh, you need trust. Uh, so did you guys basically do, use a cookie cutter approach and taking? what was in the Valley to the gaming sector uh, for this fund. Uh, and then it basically, like there's a, I, there's a bunch of other funds uh, that are popped up in the last few years that are gaming funds, which is great. I think competition is healthy to really uh, solidify what you guys are doing. Uh but, but basically, did you copy and paste what you had? It was a little different twist, uh, you know? Yeah, how, so, I mean, I, I, took, of this I took,
1: yeah, I mean, we took it a portfolio approach, right? So, yeah. I took what I learned in running, you know, the funds in the United States and Asia, respectively, and, uh, yeah, we, we went out there and applied that to the game industry. So, like, and, I mean, we look at not game, game titles, kind of like what publishers and stuff would do. We were looking at game companies holistically. And we're like, hey, let's go out there and approach it. Let's look at the founders. Let's look at what they're building. Let's look at you know, their, their long-term vision is. And, yeah, let's look at the go out there and see, you know, if these companies have potential exit. And this also kind of partially coincided with the timing of the kind of free-to-play market, the mobile gaming market. And, yeah, so it, it, at the timing couldn't have been any better, right? So we, we started one of the – it's arguably the first or the second kind of fully dedicated fund on games. And uh, the rest is history. We start with very small checks uh, because there was very little money flowing into the game industry at that time. But that has obviously changed. And, yeah, now there's a lot of fun, tons of funds that have followed up us after us. And, you know, we you know pretty friendly with most of them. And then, you know, do a lot of co-investing with them, which is pretty cool.
0: Yeah, that's that's pretty amazing. And then, uh, what are the verticals in gaming you guys look at uh, that uh, that interests you guys and your fund right now?
1: Yeah, I mean, we, I mean, we look at anything that touches gaming, right? So obviously, we still do a lot of free to play stuff because that's you know where, especially Finland's very strong and you know the home of Rovio and Supercell. Yep. Obviously, um, we don't do too much console stuff, but we occasionally touch that. Uh, we do a lot of things around like tools and things around games. Uh, we're excited about cloud gaming. And then obviously recently we're doing a lot of, you know, play to earn and crypto gaming stuff as well, too. So we're just, you know, obviously trying to invest in the best entrepreneurs and we follow where they go. And yeah, a lot of times it leads to, you know, the, the hottest verticals in the industry as we speak.
0: Yeah, you've been investing for uh, well over uh, 10 years on a global scale. And I know uh, many of my friends were trying to figure out, like, Oh, like a uh, international team building. I've worked for several companies, split U.S., Europe, split Canada, U.S., Asia, um, and so forth. And uh, it, it usually was just between one or two continents. And now, I think because of the fact that the pandemic has really amplified a global space, what, what do you see was like the difference between then and now? And do you see like benefits on a global level, we're, you know, building a team globally. Do you see? Do you have some things that tidbits and things that are not in favor of that, um, where we're missing out on in person? For example, I know some game studio founders in LA were telling me that they're really missing out on creativity in person. It's VR tech is not there for their game designers to go on and you know try to do things together <laughs> on an Oculus, for example, it's very, it's difficult. Um, and, and I can imagine in different verticals, that's the same case. Uh, but then you have like, I know free to play game studios who love it. Uh, they say it's like, it's helped them out. It's been free, free spirit. Uh, they're engineers in multiple countries and they just collaborate through like a Slack or WeChat or some sort of chatting app. Um, obviously with wikis, they could kind of put their code in and so on and so forth. So, um, yeah, I'm just curious, like, what is your thoughts there? What has been the benefits that is amplified and what are some things that are areas of uh, improvement?
1: Yeah, it's kind of interesting. So like, you know, as the pandemic hit, you know, a lot of people are freaking out about, you know, the work opportunity. And for me, I felt like it was like a time machine for me because my first company was fully remote. Um, I had offices all around the world, but you know, we were doing most of our work just over IRC, which is kind of like a predecessor to Slack. Yeah. And, um, uh, yeah, so I felt like it was just like a time machine, like, oh, I know this, I've been here before. So for a lot of me and my gaming friends, it made sense. So a lot of the kind of these traditional companies or companies built kind of in offices, they didn't know how to make the shift. But if you'd been in a company like that, or, you know, there's certain other companies that say like WordPress, whatever, they were like fully distributed companies. For them, it was just like business like usual. So I think that if you grew up in a company that never had any type of like work from home or remote type of setup, uh, it was very difficult adjustment. Uh, but yeah, some of these game guys, they kind of lived and breathed and lived on the internet, and they were in doing this before. So it wasn't that much of a shock to go out there and kind of hire or kind of scale up a company in this environment. That being said, I still love working with people in person, right? Yeah. And I think the there's like a hybrid model. So I think people should just kind of work at home for the most part. And then you do like retreats every, you know, couple of months or whenever you have like a kind of like a big problem to solve or you're doing the design document stage. It's good to have this, the core people in the room at the same time. So, um, I think that you know we'll see you know things evolve toward that kind of mix where hey you can go off in your own corner do your own shit but then we yeah, when it's kind of really creative times or when it's kind of crunch time you come together as people and you build you know beautiful stuff together and I think that's kind of the magic formula going forward.
0: Yeah, I, I see that, and I think people are getting uh, to that point. Like many of the companies have discussed the hybrid model obviously depends on the, the variance and what's happening. Uh, but um, I think that is the future. And I know a lot of like early stage companies do a lot of retreats and get togethers right now uh, mm-hmm. during the pandemic. And then as far as the gaming uh, kind of involvement in the last 15 to 20 years, you know, it was purely console. You had to work with publishers and then all of a sudden Zuck opened up the app, this, this notion of this app store uh, with Facebook and, Zynga and a few others uh, like Kabam became like big companies. Uh, once he locked it down, I think Steve Jobs really took advantage of this open market space with the App Store and iOS. And really, you know, we've seen the likes of uh, IPs like Angry Birds we're talking about, Rovio and in, in Finland, um, Fruit Ninjas, and, and and many more, right, on mobile device where you could literally reach anybody in the world now. Uh, after uh, twelve plus years of this, but the af- outside of like you see the trends of mobile. Uh, now this is explosion you know, of like the the blockchain technologies. Um, you know, uh, metaverse. You know, you could be your digital self. Obviously, this there's been companies like IMVU um, to others that have been around for many years trying this out. Uh, I'm thinking out with the other one that was competing with them. Um, And Roblox being a public company on mobile, they're doing a great job with the teenagers. But what's your thought process, and like, where where is it actually at? Like, in my opinion, mobile is still very strong. Uh, People's brains could, you know, like it's nuggets. You're on social media right now, and things are within ten seconds. So hyper casual games is real, and it's here to stay on mobile. Um, I think free-to-play games, you can hop in and out and play a lot within like a five to ten minutes, but then over time, it's within a day, it's like an hour long. Um, but, you know, what do you see with the crypto space? What do you see Metaverse? Do you see, you know, uh, VR becoming a thing for everyone and their mother, or is that more replacing consoles? Do you also see, um, like, crypto gaming? Like, I think we're starting to see signs with, um, you know, the NFT world and, and uh, digitizing currencies and spending, uh, but it, I think I haven't seen it yet uh, on a grander level where games could be played by everybody. Access Infinity is interesting. I think that's a unique game that finally has taken off and showed the connection there. So I've, I've asked several questions there. <laughs> I know it's Ooh. a lot at once, um, but I was—it's kind of more about like the evolvement in games. You've been in it since you know ninety-nine, two thousand. 2005. And, and and then you've seen the kind of the involvement of app stores opening up uh, and now technologies that are going to amplify it to even day-to-day level.
1: Yeah. I mean, every technology, the way I see it is like, whenever like a new technology comes out or like a new platform is created, it's an opportunity for a new billion dollar company to come be created. And this goes back all the way to the beginning of time, right? So the first company, Atari, right? And then from there, it was the first, you know, company that came out it was Activision. It was the first third-party game developer, and that became Activision, right? Um, then Nintendo came out there, and from Nintendo, you know, you had the Capcom and the uh, the uh, the Konamis came out because they were able to build on this platform. So whenever there's a new platform that's released, there's an opportunity for a new company to come out. As you mentioned, there's Facebook, and that became Zynga, Kabam, right? Yeah. You Put the iPhone out there, and you get you know Supercells of the world, and so right now there's a couple new. Opportunities have opened up, and there'll be billion-dollar companies created in these verticals. So yeah, there'll be something around crypto gaming, and so I mean, crypto gaming—you could do that potentially without the blockchain. You could have it uh, on a database, uh, but I think it's kind of catching the whole hype and a lot of the money into space, and so a lot of money. And we'll see a couple big game companies that come out of the crypto gaming space to become just legendary game companies. Um, Say with cloud gaming I see cloud gaming is going to become a big thing and that there'll be a couple you know big winners that come out of there and these will be kind of you know, genre and you know decade defining game companies uh, just like you know what happens with free to play etc so I think the same thing is going to happen with VR I mean VR is a platform that's here to stay I think it's kind of right now looking like it'll be a glorified console platform, and then maybe in time it'll become more and more common use cases for other things. Yeah, um, kind of like some early computing. A lot of early computing was people playing games on their Commodore sixty four, their Apple two E, and there's some kind of other kind of business cases. I think the same thing is going to happen around VR. But yeah, there'll be multiple huge billion dollar game developers that come and get created on VR. And actually, I think we're in two companies right now that are like you know slightly underneath that uh, that watermark. So. I think that's kind of where things are going. So new platforms pop up, new amazing developers take advantage of those platforms and kind of grow with the platforms and they stick around. And that cycle keeps on continuing. And five, 10 years from now, who knows what the next big platform comes out will become.
0: Yeah, I mean, you make some good points. One of the things interesting enough is like, oh, blockchain is decentralized in reality. It's still so early, a lot of which, and this is what uh, Moxie, the founder of Signal, the chat app, uh, was discussing about his concerns and things like, uh, many of the platforms are more centralized. Uh, you know, when you have like an sea taking advantage of the NFTs, you're still kind of in a centralized place technically um, to do these seamless things. Even though you try to go through these wallets, um, it's still not easy to kind of decentralize these products right now.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, the problem and- is like when it's decentralized, it's a rougher and harder user experience, right? Yeah. And so that's why people... Kind of tend to go towards centralization because it makes it easier on the everyday user. Um, and yeah, oh. funny enough, about Moxie, he worked out of our coworking space for two years out of the IO building. Really? Right, so wow. like all these people, <laughs> all these people, just kind of intersect. And yeah, you know, at the time he was working on some you know cryptography stuff, and he was you know, way pre. Uh, what he was working on uh, with, obviously, Signal, and right. even before he got acquired by Twitter, right? And so, yeah, these people kind of come in and out of your lives and you never know where people end up, but you stay in touch with them and uh, crazy things happen down the line.
0: But that kind of leads me to your point about the cloud computing, excuse me, cloud uh, gaming. Um, for for me, it's still a bit of a gray area. I'm trying to better understand this. Uh, what, what are you excited about cloud gaming? What does that mean?
1: Well, cloud gaming is still very early, but like thinking about it, it's like, you know how you go out there on Netflix and you can go out there and stream a movie on Netflix. And you, you don't have to worry about any kind of you know data issues. You don't have to worry about downloading the movie, et cetera, right? Um, so imagine if you go out there and you could have the computing power of you know, 10, 20, 30 different laptops or, or supercomputers instead of your you know PC. So right now, you want to play a high-end PC game. You have to go out there, download the game. You have to have a super high-end NVIDIA card in your PC and you play the game. Uh, right now, but in the future... You can go out there. You click a button, so no download, nothing, and it immediately just starts streaming to you a super high-end game that's being, you know, using the most latest computing power, and it could be, you know, ten computing, you know, ten GPU chips, uh, and giving you all this kind of, how would you say? All this computing power basically for free and just being streamed into your browser so that at the back end, it's just basically a terminal. And so, yeah, imagine what kind of cool things you can start doing with that. Imagine what kind of amazing experiences you can start doing when you're having multiplayer games across that. So that's what we're quite excited about is that you go in there with the click of a button, you'd be playing a super, super beautiful, immersive game yeah. uh, with yeah, no kind of computing costs on your end.
0: That, that's actually like the the dream. I mean, if you could just like click and play, you don't need to one download from like an app store. You could just basically play a stream with others in real time.
1: Yeah, I mean, Multiple so think
0: devices. about it. I, basically, I pictured it as like Fortnite try to do this or even to a certain extent, speaking of Activision, Call of Duty. You know, they have an incredible traditional sense of playing that game on, uh, you know, uh, on your laptop. You could play it on console. And now they have a really good mobile Experience, but you still have to download. You still have to kind of like upload and and take some time to actually have it with the memory that your phone gives you, um, or you know, go buy the product on console. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So there so is you avoid there. a lot of these yeah.
1: limitations, exactly. So you're able to do the computing, you know, on the edges, right? You get to do computing uh, on some server farm and then just get streamed to you. Obviously, there's other issues, right? So latency issues and bandwidth And with issues and stuff like that. But yeah, um, yeah, that's all being worked out. And I mean, excuse me, it's still early days, but um, it's going to be pretty exciting in the next five to 10 years to see how that evolves.
0: Yeah, and I know we're uh, crunching on time here. You have uh, another chat soon. Uh, But I want to kind of two quick things. The first one is like, how on earth did you, uh, a tech entrepreneur investor, get into uh, as an Olympian for the country of Colombia? You're a Polish-American guy from Chicago representing the colombia which is a tropical country in south america in the winter olympics and then you represent tonga <laughs> uh so how did you uh like what's the backstory here and how did you become an olympian i know there's a cool video if people don't know want to search uh, paul Bragiel's name on youtube you'll see a quick backstory there's a really cool video about this but uh you know while you have you now i'd love to hear it
1: yeah, I'll give you the short version. Um obviously the full version's probably a whole episode. But um yeah, I mean, so I had two dreams as a kid. Um one, I want to make video games, and then two, um, I want to be an Olympian. I, I, I really love the whole spirit of the Olympics. Um, I love the yeah. fact that it brings all these amazing, you know, countries together in kind of peacetime. And it's yeah, a lot of these young people's like, you know, they're at their physical peak uh when they come into the Olympics. And they're doing it obviously for for free they're not doing it for not to be paid um, yeah so i just love that whole thing and I'm, I'm a big supporter of the olympics you know kind of movement going forward um but yeah so um i had sold you know one of my companies uh we've been doing io and we just made the, p- the decision to kind of pivot io from being io to becoming our found Regal brothers and so i kind of saw that as my opportunity to take some time off i'd never taken time off between my respective startups and the ones i exited and i was like you know what um, I'm going to do this. And so I woke up one day um, after drinking with a few friends and I'm like, you know what? I'm getting kind of old. If I don't do this now, I will never do this. And so wow. I, I just started doing research and reading up on every single sport, both in the winter and summer Olympics. And I want to figure out, you know, which sport is, you know, the easiest one to get into as, as I was at the time, 35 years old, you know, auto shape tech guy. and, uh, that led me to four different sports, uh, and they're all winter sports because they're the most flexible roles. What and they were downhill skiing, cross-country skiing, bobsled, and luge. Um, I spent the next two months flying around the world meeting uh, some of the best coaches in those respective sports and obviously trying them. Uh, the only sport I had tried before uh, was downhill skiing in my life before, and I was only a couple times as a young kid. Yeah, And, um, yeah, by process elimination, and I could tell you a lot more details there, but like, I ended up picking up cross-country skiing. Um, I ended up finding a really amazing coach, a guy named Heike Hapamaki, uh, who used to be a coach for both the Belarusian and Finnish national teams. And, uh, Hmm. yeah, then I started going after it. So I picked up the sport. I'd never done it before ever in my life, uh, up until that time. And, um, yeah, so it's kind of half the equation and the other half the equation is like, yeah, to increase my chances. A lot of these rules that I mentioned are kind of flexible in the winter sports were built for countries that were either really small or really warm to encourage them to kind of try for the winter Olympics because summer Olympics says every country represented, but winter Olympics is not. Um, and yeah, so by this is, yeah, this is a 20 minute story, but like, um, yeah, through some really cool connections, um, I was able to befriend some people in Colombia, which then led me to me befriending the president of the country. And then um, through that, I was able to be granted uh, special citizenship uh, as in the country to be, try to become the first ever, you know, skier uh, to qualify for the Olympics for the country. Amazing. And that's how it started. And yeah, I mean, there's so many twists and turns. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we'll have to talk about that some
0: other time, I guess. <laughs> yeah, we definitely come back and uh, have that discussion for sure. But uh, you def- it's incredible that you're actually living uh, the multiple dreams that you have, both being in the gaming sector and as an Olympian. So uh, kudos to you. And with uh, Yeah, one, one,
1: one final thing I think is kind yeah. of funny is that
0: yeah. um, I was actually able to combine both those things. So one of my
1: friends as I was making the Olympics run, he approached me and asked me if he could do a game about me. So actually they made mm-hmm. a game about me skiing and I'm actually, I'm a playable character in a video game. Um, so who would have thought, that, you know, five-year-old or 10-year-old Paul would <laughs> have yes. a game about me going to the Olympics, which is pretty fucking ridiculous.
0: Yeah. No, that's incredible. And, and uh, I guess, uh, I mean, I have so much to ask and things, would have you come back uh, another time. But one of the things is, is like, Uh, there's a lot of entrepreneurs and people I'm fortunate enough to be plugged in and probably listen to this podcast. Um, And uh, those who, you know, looking for funding, how can they get connected to you?
1: Um, Yeah. I mean, just find the respective fund that is kind of the most appropriate for your respective company. And my email usually is Paul or PB at that respective domain. (laughs) And that way also I'll know if you email me at the, you know, the correct email address, it'll kind of help me, shift the focus and obviously, you know, pass it on to my respective team members. They'll help me evaluate
0: the opportunity. Sweet. And thanks for that. And then uh, what's your thoughts on like this year and beyond? Like, what do you see, like what's going to happen in the world in, like in 2022?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm an optimistic person in general, so I think things yeah. will be looking good going forward. Um, I'm very curious to see what's going to happen uh, with a lot of the stuff in Ukraine. I'm curious to see what's going to happen with, with China. Mm-hmm. I um, mean, so obviously I'm, you know, I'm pretty well plugged into a lot of the geopolitics stuff being that I advise a lot of governments and stuff, but um, yeah. Yeah. And then obviously tech wise. Yeah. Let's see if the run keeps on going. I don't know. Right. Yeah, uh, It's, it's yeah. I mean, of course we want it to
0: keep on going, but will it, I don't know. Um, so two arguments. Yeah. I mean, one argument is like basically, you know, Oh, the crash is coming. They've been saying that for years. Like they've been yeah. saying that for you. The other is like, some people have argued that the, this is like another level of tipping points uh and a good example is because um you know the crypto space uh really sim- like basically shows this i'm i I think you know like th- there's stages and things but uh s- I have a friend who believes like we there's multiple tipping points waiting to happen in tech which is like insane to think that we're uh we're still on this crazy growth trajectory if if that's that perspective which i'm obviously yeah, think about it I right? could see it I could definitely see it but it's a it's a it's a ride waiting to like really run faster than we've ever seen before.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, like you know, humans are very bad at understanding exponential growth, right? So yeah. who knows? Maybe our markets at an exponential growth, you know, uh, I guess inflection point. I don't know. Um, historically, it's not been the case, but maybe Correct. we just haven't enough data. Um, or yeah, or maybe this is going to be two thousand, you know, one all over again. It's going to be a huge crash. I can't tell. Um, so I continue to invest. I, I'm lucky, you know, when you invest in early stages, um, you know, we're investing in a seven to 10, sometimes even 12 year kind of outlook. So the investments I'm planting today, these are companies that, you know, we're thinking how they're going to look five, 10 years from now, how they're, not how, how they're going to look next year. So um, yeah, we'll see kind of how it plays out. But um, like I said, I'm optimistic. Me too. Uh, I have to be kind of in my industry and um, yeah, just, you know, keep on doing cool stuff and everything will work out any longer and I
0: think. I agree. Well, Paul, thank you so much. This has been great. Uh, I'm excited again. Uh, you, you're the first guest. Thank you so much for being part of my show. And uh, yeah, have a have a great afternoon and evening.
1: Yeah, my pleasure, man. Looking forward to being on a future episode. Let's make it like episode 50 or 100. I'll pop on again. Let's do it. All right, man. Cheers. Awesome. Bye. Cheers, man. Congrats again on starting. Bye. Thanks.
0: Bye. Yeah.